0: Calling us at 818-985-5735. Press option two for the pledge line. Make sure you remember because we'll be having elections again later this year for delegates. I'll be talking more about that again this Thursday, February 29th at 3 p.m. Live here on KPFK. This is KPFK 90.7 FM. Los Angeles.
1: This is Democracy Now! We can end this war on our Ukrainian terms. We can return our land and people from occupation. We can bring Russia to justice for what it has done. But for this to happen, we must fight. May victory be the reward for all
2: those who fight for Ukraine.
1: As the war in Ukraine enters its third year, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is urging U.S. lawmakers to support a $60 billion military aid package for Ukraine. The Senate's approved the money, but Speaker Mike Johnson's refused to schedule a vote in the House. We'll host a debate on U.S. funding for Ukraine. Then we'll be joined by the legendary consumer advocate and four-time presidential candidate Ralph Nader. He turns 90 years old
0: today.
3: Well, an important thing in the U.S. here is to focus on Congress and the White House because they are waist deep in, in this uh, genocidal war uh, in, uh, in Gaza. The Congress is basically a rubber stamp uh, and doesn't even have public hearings as it shovels billions of dollars uh, to Israel.
1: All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. As the official Palestinian death toll in Israel's war on Gaza nears 30,000. President Biden said Monday he hopes a ceasefire can be achieved by next Monday.
0: Well, I hope by the beginning of the weekend. I mean, the end of the weekend. At least my my, my national security advisor tells me that we're close. We're close. It's not done yet. And my hope is by next Monday, we'll have a ceasefire. President live.
1: Biden made the comment in a New York City ice cream shop with late night host Seth Myers, who show he appeared on Monday evening. Qatar, which is hosting negotiations, said it's optimistic a deal could be reached before Ramadan next month. Meanwhile, Reuters reports Hamas called Biden's remarks premature. Meanwhile, on the ground in Gaza, Israeli forces opened fire again on people waiting for aid in Gaza City. A Palestinian man who was waiting for a delivery of flour pleaded with the world to take mercy on hungry Palestinians.
4: Look at us through the eyes of mercy, people. For the sake of Islam, look with mercy. Film so that people can see the starvation, how people are coming. They're carrying the martyrs on a donkey cart, on a bicycle. We don't have any value anymore. We don't have any value. No one is looking at us.
1: On Monday, Jordan and France conducted a joint operation to airdrop food to central and southern Gaza. Palestinians use rowboats to retrieve aid packages dropped at sea. Gazans continue to face starvation, affecting even its youngest babies who do not have access to milk or formula.
5: My son is supposed to have milk as a newborn, be it natural milk or formula milk, but I wasn't able to get him milk because there is no milk in Gaza. I had to give him a date because I can't provide milk for him, because there is no food, there is no fruits. As a mother who just gave birth, there is no fruits or vegetables. There is nothing in Gaza.
1: In other news from Gaza, acclaimed artist Fahri Rabin has died after Israeli authorities denied him permission to travel for medical treatment. The 77-year-old artist, suffered from severe chest and lung conditions, was unable to get care in Gaza due to the lack of oxygen and other crucial health resources in the besieged territory. His paintings immortalized the Palestinian struggle and the right of return. The International Court of Justice Monday concluded its six-day hearing on Israel's occupation of Palestinian territories. Representatives from over 50 nations and international organizations presented oral statements at The Hague, most arguing Israel's military occupation of the West Bank Gaza and East Jerusalem as a violation of international law and calling for the establishment of an independent Palestinian state. This is Hakim El-Rafai with the League of Arab States.
0: This prolonged occupation is an affront to international justice. The failure to bring it to an end has led to the current horrors perpetrated against the Palestinian people, amounting to genocide. There can be no moral or juridical justification for occupying lands, killing, terrorizing, and displacing their populations.
1: In related news, human rights groups say Israel's completely ignored the World Court's order to take all measures within its power to prevent genocide in Gaza. One month after the ruling, Israel's continued to block most delivery of life-saving humanitarian aid, food, medicines, and fuel to Gaza. Since January's ruling, Israeli forces have killed over 3,400 Palestinians in Gaza. The Israeli government is expected to soon deliver its own 30-day assessment of Compliance With the ICJ decision. In response, Omar Shakir with Human Rights Watch said, quote, Israel's blatant disregard for the world court's order poses a direct challenge to the rules based international order. Failure to ensure Israel's compliance puts the lives of millions of Palestinians at risk and threatens to undermine the institutions charged with ensuring respect for international law and the system that ensures civilian protection worldwide, he said. Vigils were held in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere Monday for Aaron Bushnell, an active-duty U.S. Air Force member who died after setting himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington to protest genocide in Gaza. The 25-year-old who live-streamed his self-immolation yelled, free Palestine, as he was consumed by the flames. Marion Ingram, an 88-year-old artist activist and german holocaust survivor was at the dc vigil on monday
2: i urge you
0: mr president i urge you congress start defunding israel start making peace it is time we stop killing children i do not wish that people burn themselves to bring the point home. Mr. Biden, you should stop supporting the genocide in Gaza.
1: She was carrying a sign that said, Survivor says peace, not wars in our name. You can see our interviews with Marion Ingram at democracynow.org. In response to Aaron Bushnell's act of protest... Palestinian poet and journalist Mohamed El-Kurd said, quote, if you're a soldier sacrificing yourself to protect U.S. interests, you're a rational, noble hero. But if you sacrifice yourself to protest the genocide your country is funding, you are mentally ill, unquote. Meanwhile, Pentagon spokesperson Pat Ryder dodged a reporter question about how military members feel about the U.S. role in Gaza.
6: But is the secretary concerned that this might indicate that there's a, a deeper issue, maybe the U.S. military being, uh, military personnel being concerned about how uh, weapons and support for Israel is being used on civilians in Gaza?
4: Well, look, from a Department of Defense standpoint, since Hamas's brutal attacks on October 7th, we've been focused on the four key areas that the secretary set out from the onset. That's protecting U.S. forces and citizens in the region. Supporting Israel's inherent right to defend itself from terrorist attacks, working closely with Israel to support and secure the release of hostages from Hamas.
1: In New York, Hundreds of Jewish American activists and allies descended on 30 Rockefeller Center, headquarters of NBC, to disrupt President Biden's surprise appearance on late night with Seth Myers. Around 50 activists were arrested, according to organizers. Elsewhere, the faculty at the University of Illinois, Chicago, overwhelmingly voted to call for a ceasefire in Gaza in a referendum last week. Outside, the U.S.'s Ireland's Senate, outside of the United States, Ireland's Senate unanimously voted last week to impose sanctions against Israel, prevent the passage of U.S. weapons to Israel via Irish airspace, and advocate for an international arms embargo against Israel. This is Irish Senator Francis Black, who helped put forward the motion.
5: When I visited Gaza back in 2018, and the amazing people I met there, and the, the spirit of the people. And me. and I don't know if they're dead, I don't know if they're alive. I remember one woman saying to me, when I was in Gaza back then, she said that she was a human rights, from a human rights organisation, wonderful women's group. And she said, why well, had the international community abandoned us? And those words stay up to me.
1: Israeli airstrikes in eastern Lebanon Monday killed at least two people believed to be members of Hezbollah. Israel's attacks on Baalbek came after Hezbollah confirmed it has shot down an Israeli drone in southern Lebanon. Later on Monday, Hezbollah said it fired dozens of rockets at an Israeli military base in retaliation. Elsewhere, U.S. forces said it carried out preemptive strikes against Houthi targets in Yemen, destroying missiles, unmanned vessels and a drone. In election news, voters in the battleground state of Michigan are casting their primary ballots today. The group Listen to Michigan has been urging Democrats to vote uncommitted to show their opposition to President Biden's refusal to stop Israel's assault on Gaza. Michigan's Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who's been campaigning for Biden, predicted during an interview Monday, quote, there will be a sizable number of votes for uncommitted, unquote. Members of the 300,000 strong Arab American community in Michigan and others gathered gathered on Sunday ahead of the vote.
5: We need to show President Biden and all the other candidates that we support Palestine. We don't support
3: our U.S. tax dollars going towards Israel to ethnically cleanse Palestine. And this is a human cause. And so we're all showing up.
1: Activists in Minnesota recently launched their own uncommitted campaign ahead of Minnesota's presidential primary, March 5th. A close associate of Alexei Navalny says the late Russian opposition leader was days away from being released in a prisoner exchange. Maria Pevchik, chair of Navalny's Anti-Corruption Foundation, spoke on Alexei Navalny's YouTube channel. Navalny was everything Putin could never be, and Putin hated him for it. But why did he kill him now? Why February 16th? Alexei Navalny could have been sitting in my place right now, today. This is not a figure of speech. This could have and should have happened. Navalny was supposed to be free in the coming days, because we had achieved a decision on his exchange. Maria Pepchik accused Putin of killing Navalny to prevent the swap from happening. Navalny was allegedly to be exchanged for two unnamed U.S. nationals and Vadim Klasikov, a Russian secret service member who's serving a life sentence in Germany for the 2019 murder of a Kremlin dissident. Media outlets speculate the two American citizens could be Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich and former Marine Paul Whelan. Denmark's closed its investigation into the 2022 blasts on the Nord Stream pipelines, which were built to carry natural gas from Russia to Europe. Danish authorities concluded there was deliberate sabotage of the pipelines, but insufficient evidence to pursue the case. Sweden dropped its own probe into the matter earlier this month. Moscow's blamed the U.S., the U.K., and Ukraine for the explosions. French President Emmanuel Macron is leading a European effort to send more arms to Ukraine. These will include more middle and long-range missiles. Macron also did not rule out eventually sending French or other Western troops to Ukraine. He spoke Monday at a Paris conference of 20 European leaders.
2: Everything was discussed in a free and direct manner tonight. There was no consensus today to send troops onto the ground in a manner that's official, assumed and endorsed. But on the dynamic, nothing should be excluded. We will do everything so that Russia cannot win this war.
1: Sweden's cleared its final obstacle to join NATO after Hungary's parliament ratified Stockholm's bid Monday. The Swedish prime minister hailed the historic step. Sweden
6: is leaving behind 200 years of neutrality and military non-alignment. As far as Russia is concerned, the only thing we can safely expect is that they do not like Sweden becoming a NATO member. They didn't like Finland becoming a NATO member either. The whole purpose was to emphasize that a country like Ukraine would not be allowed to choose its own path.
1: Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban had blocked Sweden's bid for membership for over 18 months, but finally relented following last week's deal for Sweden to sell Hungary for fighter jets. In Burkina Faso, dozens of people were killed after an attack Sunday on a mosque in Natyabuani in the east of the country. Armed individuals reportedly entered the mosque and opened fire as people gathered for morning prayer. On the same day, at least 15 people were killed in a separate attack on a Catholic church during Sunday Mass in northern Burkina Faso. And back here in New York, a former professor at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine in the Bronx has donated $1 billion to cover tuition payments of all students for the foreseeable future. The medical school will be free for all. Ruth Gottesman's donation is one of the largest ever made to an educational institution in the United States. The 93-year-old professor who studied learning disabilities and created an adult literacy program was married to a Wall Street. Financier who left her the money when he died in 2022, she made the announcement to a crowd of students who erupted in cheers. Dr. Oni Blackstock, emergency medicine physician, author, and founder of Advancing Health Equity, said on social media, "quote, hoping there is positive impact on the health of Bronxites, home to the poorest congressional district in the U.S. I also hope this helps to recruit more Black, Latinx, and Indigenous students." groups that are woefully underrepresented in medicine that do not have same level of generational wealth as their white counterparts. Professor Gottesman insisted a condition of the gift was that the school does not change its name to hers, telling The New York Times, quote, we've got the gosh darn name. We've got Albert Einstein, she said. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. Coming up, as the war in Ukraine enters its third year, we host a debate on U.S. funding for Ukraine. Stay with us.
3: Over the ashes of blood march the civilized soldiers. Over the ruins of the French fortress of a failure. Over the silent screams of the dead and the dying. Please be reassured, we seek no outer war.
0: The treaties were signed, the country was split into sections.
3: But growing numbers of prisons were built for protection. Rapidly filling with people who called for
4: election.
2: But please be
4: reassured, we seek no wider war.
3: The golden, the end was. The we
1: topic. seek no wider war by Phil Oaks. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman in New York, joined by Democracy Now! co-host Juan Gonzalez in Chicago. Hi, Juan.
0: Hi, Amy, and welcome to all of our listeners and viewers across the country and around the world. Well, we begin today's show
1: looking at the war in Ukraine, Saturday March. Two years since Russian forces invaded Ukraine. This month also marks 10 years since Russia moved to seize Crimea from Ukraine after mass protests forced the ouster of Ukraine's pro-Russian president, Viktor Yanukovych. Russia's long accused the United States of orchestrating a coup in Ukraine in 2014. Leaders from many European nations gathered in Paris Monday and pledged to send more arms to Ukraine, including medium and long-range missiles. French President Emmanuel Macron said he cannot rule without sending ground troops to Ukraine to fight Russian forces.
2: Everything was discussed in a free and direct manner tonight. There was no consensus today to send troops onto the ground in a manner that's official, assumed and endorsed. But on the dynamic, nothing should be excluded. We will do everything so that Russia cannot win this war. The
1: second anniversary of the war comes amidst an intense debate in Washington over U.S. funding for Ukraine. Earlier this month, the Senate approved a $95 billion foreign aid package that includes $60 billion in military Military aid for Ukraine. Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson's refused to schedule a vote on the funding. President Biden's hosting Johnson and other congressional leaders at the White House today to press for the military aid package that also includes $14 billion for Israel. Biden's also attempting to avert a partial government shutdown Friday. In an interview on CNN, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky claimed millions of people could die if U.S. lawmakers don't approve the funding. Zelensky was interviewed by CNN's Caitlin Collins. Senator J.D. Vance, who was in Munich at the security conference but didn't meet with you, he said that even if you got the $60 billion in aid, it is not going to fundamentally change the reality on the battlefield. What's your response to that? I'm not sure that he understands what's going on here. And... Uh... We don't need any rhetoric of, from people who, who are not uh, deeply in the, in the, you know, in the, in the war. So to understand it is to come to the front line to see what's going on, to speak with the people. Then to go to civilians to understand
0: what will be with them and then what will be with them without this support. And he will understand that millions of people have been killed. Will be killed.
1: That's so he doesn't fact.
2: understand it?
1: Because he doesn't understand it. Of course, he God bless you. Don't have the war on your territory. The debate over U.S. funding for Ukraine comes as more details emerge about how the CIA's played a critical role assisting Ukraine on the battlefield. The New York Times has revealed the CIA helped build a network of 12 secret spy bases along the Russian border over the past eight years. The Times reports the CIA has also trained elite Ukrainian commando forces and a new generation of Ukrainian spies. Just last week, CIA Director William Burns made a secret trip to Ukraine as 10th visit since Russia's invasion two years ago. To talk more about the war in Ukraine and U.S. funding, we're joined by two guests, Medea Benjamin, co-founder of Code Pink, co-author of the book War in Ukraine, Making Sense of a Senseless Conflict. Her new piece for the progressive is headlined after two years of war in Ukraine. It's time for peace. She's joining us from Miami. And in Cleveland, Ohio, we're joined by Stephen Crowley. He's a professor of politics at Oberlin College, where he's the chair of Russian, East European, and Eurasian studies. His latest book is titled Putin's Labor Dilemma Russian Politics Between Stability and Stagnation. His latest piece for the responsible statecraft is headlined Pass Ukraine Aid, but Make It Conditional on Ending the War. Professor Crowley, let's begin with you. Explain what you are proposing.
4: Hi, Amy. Good to hear from you. Uh, good to be part of this. So, yeah, I think the one reason to fund uh, Ukraine is to bring the war to an end. To my mind, that's the only reason. This war has gone on for two years. Uh, even though we're in the 21st century, we have drones and satellites and precision missiles. It's essentially descended into trench warfare that looks very much like World War I. Uh, Many people continue to die on both sides, and yet the lines barely move at all. And yet we hear pundits and political leaders talking about the possibility of a long war. Uh, 2014 might be bad for Ukraine, but 2015 might somehow miraculously be better. Uh, This, to my mind, just seems like magical thinking. I think the the only reason to fund uh, Ukraine right now is to... Get both sides to the negotiating table to end this war.
0: And uh, Medea Benjamin, what about this issue of providing more weapons to end the war?
6: Well, with all due respect to Stephen, I just don't understand it at all. I mean, you give more money precisely for the war to keep going. And let's remember the package that is being proposed now in the House. As you said in the introduction, it's not just $60 billion for Ukraine. It's also $14 billion for Israel as part of that. It also says no money can be going to the relief agency UNRWA. And it also has billions of dollars for Taiwan and the Indo-Pacific to antagonize China. This package should be fiercely opposed by progressives, all over the country because it will only continue the war in Ukraine as well as continue other wars on other continents. This is exactly what the world doesn't need, what the American public doesn't need. It's a terrible bill and must be opposed.
0: And Professor Crowley, I wanted to ask you um, about this New York Times piece that came out on Sunday about the CIA's uh, long involvement uh, in training uh, elite troops that were some of them were conducting sabotage and assassinations uh, in uh, during the period, not after the Russian invasion, but before the Russian invasion during the war in Donbass. Uh, and so it's clear that the CIA was involved back to about 2014 and 2015 on the ground uh, in Ukraine. Uh, does, does that uh, reshape the way we we look at because uh, surely uh, Putin must have known that uh, he must have known about the CIA involvement on the ground uh, in Ukraine. Uh, does that give a, a shed new light on the, the the
4: reasons why Putin decided to invade? I think it I think it might one. Uh if you look closely at the New York Times article they sort of briefly brush past the uh, a, a couple of sentences where they said that Russia was aware of this and saw this as as rather provocative that perhaps the uh the United States was intending to perhaps uh act aggressively or, or even you know, <laughs> invade Russia and uh, they just sort of and he said of course that's not true so um, we don't really need to consider that any further but uh, we, we, we have grievously failed to consider the other side to, to, to look at things from the Russian perspective and it's, it's very easy to demonize Putin, he does a very good job of making that quite possible uh, his, his policies are really quite vile But we've made a mistake in understanding the provocative nature, going back to NATO expansion, as your readers and listeners will be well aware of. Uh, And this happened for years, this this, uh, predated Putin being in, in power. And unfortunately, this is this, this sort of mentality is continuing. And if we don't recognize the dangers, the, the provocations uh, that led to this conflict, this war, even though this was Putin's decision to invade, but nevertheless, there is another side to this. If we don't learn that lesson, we're going to slow walk into another war, I'm afraid, between the United States and China over Taiwan because we're still thinking in terms of deterrence. We have to be strong, we have to deter the other side, and we neglect the fact that this can be, create insecurity on the other side that just leads to build-up, escalation, and eventually to violence and war.
1: Professor Stephen Crowley, your piece um, is headlined, Pass Ukraine Aid but Make It Conditional on Ending the War. And I wanted to ask both you and Medea Benjamin this part of it. How do you make it conditional on that? What would negotiations look like? What would bring both sides to the table? And do you think there are secret talks going on right now?
4: I do not know whether there are talks going on right now, but uh, there absolutely should be. Uh, And I'm afraid there's been lots of hints that, well, there's been speculation. People have said, well, Putin doesn't want to negotiate, or they said he says he wants to negotiate, but he really is just doing this to uh, deter the West from supplying, giving any support to Ukraine. And my answer to that is, well, test that. Uh, Let's call it, let's say we're ready to negotiate. Like we, yes, including, we can't simply leave this to the Ukrainians. It's understandable that their country wasn't invaded. They want to do everything they can to repel the invader. But it's on us, the people that are sending rockets and, and military material there to remind the Ukrainians, look, this isn't going to get any better for you. It, it could only get worse. And now is the time to negotiate. And if Putin isn't willing to negotiate, then call him on that. Then just say, yes, this is, this is on him now. But I think there are many signs of war fatigue in Russia as well as Ukraine. They're more hidden behind the repressive atmosphere and the propaganda and so forth. But Russia itself is also tiring of war.
1: And Medea Benjamin, if you could respond to that, what would a negotiation look like and what would bring both sides to the table?
6: Well, it's tragic because we know exactly what a negotiation would look like because it was happening four days after the Russian invasion. There had been a series of talks going on for the entire month, and they came up with a 15-point plan, which was, in essence, that Russia... Uh, would uh, that Ukraine would not join NATO, that Ukraine would be a neutral country in exchange for guarantees uh, by other countries. Uh, the Ukrainians had even agreed at that time to put the issue of Crimea off well into the future. They talked about a 15-year consultation on the status of Crimea. The essence of what peace talks would be are already very clear. And let's also be clear that it is the U.S. and the U.K that sabotaged those early peace talks. They said to Ukraine that Putin is a war criminal, should not be negotiated with, and if you come up with a deal, we will not back it. Uh, We have also seen in these two years all these attempts by countries around the world, uh, whether it is China or Mexico or Brazil or the six African nations uh, that have come forward with peace plans that the US has just dismissed. So we have to recognize that the US, as the Secretary of Defense had said, um, wants to use this as an opportunity to weaken Russia. And so pouring more money into this conflict is just going to mean more Ukrainians going to be killed, more conscripted Russian soldiers going to be killed. We have to seize this moment right now, not give more money and say, Say, this is the time to go to the negotiating table. In fact, Ukraine is in a worse position now than it was a year ago when a secret- when the chief of staff of the U.S., uh, Milly said seize the moment and the U.S. did not do it. And imagine if Donald Trump is the next president. This will be even worse for Ukraine. So now is the time to seize the moment and go to negotiations, stop fueling a war that is not winnable on the battlefield.
0: Uh, Mattia, I wanted to ask you, what would you respond to those who say that uh, allowing uh, uh, Russia and Putin to uh, maintain control of uh, portions of uh, Ukrainian territory will only embolden him to, uh, to pursue more aggression uh, throughout Europe?
6: Well, if indeed Putin's aim was to take over Ukraine, he hasn't been able to do that. Uh, In that sense, Russia has already lost uh, and uh, he is not going to be able to go any further than maintaining the hold of the territories uh, in the Donbass that that he controls now. And Crimea is recognized uh, as a territory that had been part of Russia for about 200 years, where the majority of people are ethnic Russians and Russian-speaking, um, so I think if Ukraine did not become part of NATO, uh, made it clear that it would uh, made uh, it would be a neutral country, this could be perceived by Putin as a win. Uh, And it could also be perceived uh, by the by the Ukrainians uh, as a win that Putin was not able to take over any more of their country uh, and that there would be some kind of fast track for Ukraine to be entering uh, the European Union. There are certainly things that can be negotiated that could be put towards to the people of Russia and Ukraine uh, as a way to get out of this, as Steven said, war re- weariness on both sides. While Zelensky is saying that he desperately needs more weapons, his general uh, secretary of defense has uh, said that half of the weapons promised by the West and allocated have not even been delivered. And what we know as perhaps The most difficult problem for Ukraine is one of manpower. They don't have the recruits, the most gung ho nationalist Uh, fighters have already been killed or maimed. And the new recruits are very hard for them to find. They say they need another 500,000 recruits. Well, they just fired all the recruiters recently because of corruption. People were paying $12,000 to be smuggled out of the country. They don't have the manpower. And let's recognize that Russia has over three times the population of Ukraine. This is not a good situation for Ukraine. And if we Pour more money in; it will only give uh, the the uh, the impetus for Zelensky to keep trying to fight a war that is not winnable.
0: Professor Crowley, I wanted to ask you about this whole issue of uh, increased uh, military aid in a situation where there's considerable evidence that uh, not only of corruption uh, within the Ukrainian government, but of massive uh, amounts of weapons that were already allocated have been delinquent or missing, uh, according to an Associated Press uh, report recently.
4: Yeah, one. I'm not uh totally up to speed on that, but I would say the answer for Ukraine isn't really more weapons. Um, it is really to get both sides to the negotiating table. I think the the package might give uh, Ukraine enough leverage to be able to sit down with Russia uh, that appears, at least at the moment, to have a stronger hand, but to bring an end to it. And, and the funding... Ultimately, needs to go to reconstructing Ukraine. There's been some estimates of one trillion dollars that it will cost to reconstruct Ukraine after this devastation. And on to your uh, earlier question, the earlier question to to Medea, uh, Russia may look like it's coming out of this war as a victor if things end right now. But the long-term prospects for Russia are quite grim. Uh, its economy is overheating. It's isolated from the rest of the world outside of places like Iran and North Korea. China is not a, is not a, a true partner. Uh, Russia needs China more than China needs Russia. So the talk coming out of places like Europe that, well, if the war ends, then in five or ten years, Putin is somehow going to amass enough forces to attack Estonia, let alone Poland, it seems to me just ludicrous. Um, He may, even if he wanted to do that, I don't see how that is possible. And there's talk, unfortunately, in Europe about shifting resources from areas like climate change uh, to increasing more military weapons and more military production. And unfortunately, that's exactly what Putin would like to have, because the way he fuels his war is through the sale of oil and gas. And if the, the world, Europe in particular, can shift to a greater uh, climate change um, alleviation, uh, less dependence on oil and gas, then this would even weaken Russia's position even further.
1: Um, White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said Sunday Ukraine needs more military aid. He was speaking to Martha Raditz on ABC's This Week.
4: This is not about a shortage of will, Martha. This is about a shortage of bullets. And if we can fill that shortage of bullets, Ukraine will stand up, brave and courageous, uh, and take the fight to the Russians. The United States will continue alongside our allies and partners to try to get Ukraine all of the tools and capabilities that it, it needs to be able to conduct this fight as rapidly and as efficiently as we possibly can.
1: So, Medea Benjamin, if you can respond to this and also the fact that um, the House Speaker Johnson has not put this on the floor of the House for a vote. It passed the Senate um, because it's believed it would pass overwhelmingly, interestingly enough, from the Republicans and the Democrats. Um, I'm wondering your thoughts on where political lines are these days.
6: Well, the political lines are extremely uh, strange. Uh, the uh, There are no Democrats who are opposing more money to Ukraine. Uh, you right, might remember, Amy, way back last year in October, when there were 30 progressive Democrats who said, maybe it's time to consider negotiations. And they were so pilloried by their own party, they had to withdraw that letter within 24 hours, and for the most part have been absolutely silenced ever since. I think this is tragic. This is leaving it to the extreme right of the Republican Party to take a position that is very popular with the American people. Very early on in this war, an AP poll so, showed that the majority of Americans thought the U.S. should only play a minor role in the case of Ukraine. And it is not popular to be sending tens and tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine when President Tr- uh, uh, when uh, candidate Trump says that he would end this war in a day by calling up his two friends, Zelensky and Putin, and that uh, Biden is not capable of ending this war. That is something that is very popular, not among only Trump supporters, but the general public. Uh, the public does not want to keep funding this war. Schumer just came back from uh, Ukraine and said that it would take years to win this war. And that implies that the American public should keep spending uh what has now been over a hundred billion dollars on this war, I don't think that's a very popular position. And I think it's very bad for Biden if he doesn't come out. And as Stephen said, he should try talking to Putin. You asked if there had been attempts or behind the scene talks. Well, we just saw from Reuters by a senior Moscow correspondent that indeed the Russians had reached out to the US as late as January of this year asking for talks. And Jake Sullivan and others responded that they could talk to Russia about other issues, but not about Ukraine. I say the Democrats better start talking to Russia, better start pushing Ukraine to the negotiating table because it is not a popular position.
0: And and Medea, we just uh, have about less than a minute for this segment, but I'm wondering uh, the other war, uh, the Israeli war uh, on Gaza, Uh, And the position of progressives and Democrats in Congress on that, on funding, on additional funding for Israel, your take on that?
6: Yes, unfortunately, because of the way that this package has been uh, packaged, uh, they have thrown money in for Ukraine, which Democrats support, and they have put money in for humanitarian aid, although it can't go to UNRWA. And so there are Democrats, even Democrats that have called for a ceasefire, that we fear will vote for this package because they'll say, oh, well, we had to vote for it for the money for Ukraine. We saw that in the Senate. The very few senators, uh, there are only six of them who have called for a ceasefire. Four of them voted for the package because they said, oh, we have to vote for the money for Ukraine. That's an excuse for them. I think we have to go to all the members of Congress and say, not one penny for Israel, even if it's in a package that you like something else in there, no more money for Israel.
1: Oppose the entire package. Medea Benjamin, co-founder of Code Pink. Her recent piece for the progressive headlined after two years of war in Ukraine, It's Time for Peace. And Stephen Crowley, professor of politics at Oberlin College, speaking to us from Cleveland. His latest piece in Responsible Statecraft is headlined, Pass Ukraine Aid, but make it conditional on ending the war. When we come back, we'll be joined by the legendary consumer advocate and four-time presidential candidate, Ralph Nader. He turns 90 today. Stay with us.
2: Born on February 27th, 1934, in Winstead, Connecticut. Of course, you can hear Ralph Nader on KPFK, Sundays at noon. Pledge now for Democracy Now at 818-985-5735. We'll be speaking with Amy Goodman in about 10 minutes. Uh, Hoping that you'll stick around. But once again, support... Democracy Now! on KPFK by pledging your support at 818-985-5735 or online at kpfk.org.
1: Happy Birthday by Stevie Wonder. And this is today a birthday for our next guest, Ralph Nader. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez. Yes, we spend the rest of the hour with Ralph Nader, the four-time presidential candidate who ran on the Green Party, Independent Reform Party, and Democratic tickets. He's a longtime consumer advocate, corporate critic, and today is his 90th birthday. Ralph Nader is the author of many books, including his latest The Rebellious CEO and Breaking and, of course, his 90th focused in part on the safety flaws of General Motors' Chevrolet Corvair. He then won a major settlement against General Motors for spying on him and trying to discredit him and use the lawsuit's proceeds to start the Center for Study of Responsive Law. Ralph Nader is the son of Lebanese immigrants, has also published the Ralph Nader and Family Cookbook. He's the founder of the monthly print-only newspaper, The Capitol Hill Citizen, where his front-page article in the February-March issue is headlined, Collectively, Congress is a Weapon of Mass Destruction. Ralph, welcome back to Democracy Now! And happy 90th birthday!
3: Well, thank you very much, Amy. Thank you.
1: Well, it's great to have you with us. Uh, Why don't we start off with that very provocative headline on the front page of your newspaper, Congress is a Weapon of Mass Destruction. Explain. Explain
3: with multiple warheads. Uh, this is a very important article because uh, the reverse of what I'm going to uh, point out uh, is an opportunity for people to take back control of their Congress. All of these destructions uh, are very unpopular with the American people, including left-right uh, support for changing the scene on Capitol Hill. So the first uh, destruction is democracy itself. Congress has put itself up for sale or rent and opposes electoral reform. Uh, It is uh, excluding civic groups uh, from public hearings. It doesn't even print public hearings uh, and reports anymore. Uh, that is very unpopular with the american people and could be reversed the second is as a weapon of mass destruction literally uh, the destruction of millions of lives in iraq afghanistan yemen uh... libya elsewhere the empire itself is a weapon of illegal unconstitutional uh... mass destruction which uh, is continuing to this day and those uh... threaten us uh, Medicare and Medicaid insurance companies with deceptive ads, uh, and uh, we're seeing uh, over into Medicare Advantage, which we call Medicare Disadvantage, which is just the usual exploit of uh, giant health insurance uh policies denying benefits, uh, narrow networks, and all kinds of other abuses. Uh, the Congress has destroyed progressive taxation. It's a grotesque tax full of uh, uh, loopholes, uh, avoidances in return for campaign cash, and uh, something that even Warren Buffett has spoken about uh, strongly. So they've destroyed that and also destroyed uh, the consequence which is public uh, budgets that can protect people and engage in public services uh, congress has also uh, destroyed uh, corporate crime law enforcement not just with the more recent disaster letting boeing and boeing executives off without criminal, criminal prosecution but just imagine we have a culpable billing fraud uh, pollution violations workplace violations, and they haven't had comprehensive hearings. They just had a hearing in the Senate Judiciary Committee, just a pro-forma hearing that's described in the Capitol Hill Citizen. There are 250,000 Americans a year die from, quote, preventable problems, unquote, in hospitals, according to a peer-reviewed Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. A study and they're just doing nothing and collecting money from all these uh, corporate packs And then, of course, on child poverty, uh, just uh, they didn't extend the child uh, tax ex- uh, extension, rather the tax benefit, which had cut uh, up to January uh, 2022 child poverty by 40 percent. And they didn't do that. And by the way, I do make Uh, An important distinction, Amy, and Juan, Uh, that's why I use the word collectively, Congress is a weapon of mass destruction, because there are some good people in Congress, but as a body, it is definitely a weapon of mass destruction. Imagine uh, millions of people being taken off Medicaid, as we speak, 45 uh, million Americans experiencing food insecurity, another euphemism for hunger, and the Congress is about to send $14 billion, the genocide tax, uh, for more weapons to Israel to slaughter more Gazan families. I mean, we're talking felonious uh, performance here of the First Order. And then the last list and there's a long list, but I'll end with this. Congress is destroying the commons. That is a huge a property owned by the people, the public lands, onshore, offshore, the public airwaves, a lot of the Internet. All this belongs to the people. But they have turned control over it uh, to the corporations, the, the media well, corporations, yeah. the oil, gas, uh, timber industry, uh, etc. Now, all well, of these yes. are very unpopular with the American people a uh, right to- organization of congress could turn all this around with less than 1% of the people organized uh, as a congress congress watch group in congressional districts all of this is discussed uh, and more in capitol hill citizen in the publication that we're putting out citizen.com and for Russian group and for a donation of $5 or more you'll be mailed first class quickly the new issue, The Capitol Hill Citizen, 40 pages, stocked with vibrant, uh, readable print. Juan, and we w- want I wanted, people,
1: Juan, why would you think that you could get a word in Edgewise on Ralph's 90th birthday?
3: <laughs> but we're just I just cradle. want one more <laughs> sentence. One more key sentence. The whole idea of The Capitol Hill Citizen is not just to inform people with non-official journalism that they don't read about, and article after article, like the need to repeal the Insurrection Act that Trump could use to turn the armed forces against the, the people in this country that should be repealed. There's an article on that by Bruce Fine,
0: the Capitol citizen. It's to get well, R- more Ralph, people Ralph, to I become I anyway, Capitol uh, I can. Uh, I wanted to ask you anyway, we're in the midst of a presidential election year. These kinds of issues you raised when you ran for president. Bernie Sanders raised them when when he ran. Uh, But we're facing now the Michigan primary coming up and the rest of the election season in Michigan. Some uh, people are pushing for an uncommitted vote to send a message to Biden about Gaza. What do you think about that strategy? And also, as you're looking at this presidential race, what would you urge uh, progressives to do?
3: I urge all people to vote their conscience. I don't believe in tactical voting inside a two-party duopoly that basically allows very little choice on foreign military policy. What difference is there between the Republican and Democrat on Wall Street? What difference is there? There's better rhetoric. The Democrats are better with the social safety net. No, no, no doubt about that. With. Uh, Medicare and and other uh, safety net uh, programs, but is that enough? So I think, as you say, Juan, uh, people have got to find some way out of this uh, two party duopoly gulag. They're trapped with these choices, uh, and one way is to is to do the uncommitted during the primary in in Michigan, and I hope it spreads around the country, but also. You know, uh, there there are only a few swing states here, so the majority of the American people in red and blue states can vote for a third party. They can vote for the Green Party, which has a a marvelous agenda that the Democratic Party should have picked up on long ago. So people should vote their conscience. I, I believe that very strongly. That's what Eugene Debs used to recommend, the great labor leader, in the early 20th century.
1: I wanted to go back in time with me and Juan, uh, because we're also celebrating our 20th anniversary of democracy now. Uh, When we took you, Ralph, as a presidential candidate, Onto the floor of the Republican convention. This was in Philadelphia. We were broadcasting from the Independent Media Center. May have been the first, an impromptu, but one floor of another party. We'd ask Ralph to come to the convention, provide commentary and analysis as the voice and of an outsider who's been excluded from the political process in many ways. Let's go back to 2000.
2: Well, I want to observe the thing inaccurate. It's hard to believe when you see it reported. You have to see it to believe it. I mean, this is the most spectacular display of political cash register uh, politics with corporate uh, fat cats in the history of the country. And it's always good to see the the state-of-the-art shamelessly paraded on national TV. What's the message to the delegates here? The message is to go home and rethink what they're doing to the country when they sell politics to corporate fat cats in return for political favors. And that's what I say to the Democrats as well. Our democracy is being hijacked by large commercial interests against the interests of everyday people. And we've got to have political reform in this country. I'm very sorry to see John McCain, who had millions of supporters standing for political reform, morph himself into George W. Bush today.
5: Sir, in some states you're drawing to seven or eight percent. Um, do you think would you be the spoiler if if this race is too is close?
2: You can't spoil a political system that's spoiled to the core. We need a new political reform movement in this country. It's not gonna come from the Democratic or Republican parties.
1: So that was Ralph Nader in the summer of 2000 in Philadelphia on the floor of the Republican Convention. Uh, everyone, the journalists, migrated. He basically held a news conference there. We brought him on to present commentary. Um, Ralph, you ran for president four times. Um, your thoughts on what you call the duopoly. And at this point, when people are talking about this election, which could ultimately be between Biden and um, Trump calling it the most important uh, presidential election perhaps in history. What are your comments on that?
3: Well, uh, uh, what you did in 2000, Democracy Now has never been done before or since you basically uh, got me inside the Republican convention uh, to uh, provide some sort of uh, counterpoint and alternative uh, to the mass media that was there, I was as astonished as anybody, uh, and it, it didn 't take long for me to be escorted out of the uh, the convention center, but you got the job done, and uh, what is the job? The job is to give more voices and choices on the electoral ballot to the American people. This is crazy what 's going on. The gap between the Democrats and Republicans has narrowed tremendously from the days of Franklin Donald Roosevelt and the Republican Party, say, in the 1930s the Democrats have rhetoric on uh, environmental issues, labor issues, but they don 't really use their muscle in Congress, and they should have long ago landslided the Republican Party, which is the worst ever in history on so many issues that have been uh, reported by you and others. So, what do people do that first of all, they have to organize Congress watch? uh lobbies back home uh between elections so that elections become more meaningful so that people start seeing that on the table is corporate crime enforcement the end of corporate welfare the establishment of uh, arms control treaties and a department of peace that Dennis Kucinich is uh supporting he's now running for congress again uh, from from Ohio uh there's so many areas that were put on an effort in 2022, which we called WinningAmerica.net, people can go and see it, uh, showing that so many of the major concerns of the American people, it doesn't matter whether they label themselves conservative or liberal when they uh, are trying to feed their families, when they're trying to get through the day where they live, work, and, and uh, raise their families, uh, ideology of divide and rule doesn't uh, quite work with them. But we we tried to do that, With uh, winningamerica.net, we put the whole range of progressive policies that have huge majoritarian support. That's the hidden uh, story. There's a lot of left-right support for a living wage, for universal health insurance, for cracking down on corporate crime, for changing the whole ridiculous uh, tax system.
1: Ralph, Juan wants to get one more question in before the end of the show, Juan.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ralph, I wanted to ask you about the, the uh, Israel's war on Gaza. You had a recent column headline what the mass media needs to cover regarding Israel Gaza conflict. Could you lay out? We only have about a, a couple of minutes if you could lay out your key points.
3: Well, the key point is that, uh, and this is not very, uh, often recognized, is there are five federal laws that the U.S. and Israel are violating by, uh, unconditional and unconstitutional, uh, support of this uh, illegal genocidal war in Gaza. And uh, the Foreign Assistance you're, Act, listening the Army, to, Army,
5: you're, Army. you're listening to Ralph Nader. And if you want to hear the end, go to democracynow.org. But right now, we're asking you to support KPFK. Ralph turns 90 years old today. Happy birthday, Ralph. Um, To say the least, he's continuing to organize and put out Capitol Hill Citizen, which is a paper, newspaper, about what's happening on Capitol Hill. Um, If you care about what you heard today, from the debate on funding of Ukraine to Ralph Nader on his 90th birthday... Um, We ask you to make the call that makes KPFK happen, 818-985-5735, or go to kpfk.org. But do it now. We simply can't do this without you, only with you, only together. If you live in Silver Lake or you live in Hollywood or you live in Venice Beach or Manhattan Beach or Long Beach, if you live in Torrance or Watts or Pacific Palisades or you live in Malibu or you live in Simi Valley or Whittier, We're urging you, please, Beverly Hills, Hollywood Hills, Santa Monica, please make that call. You can also go online at kpfk.org. If you want to get, we have a few Democracy Now! mugs for a $65 contribution. They are blue mugs. They're wonderful. They have a microphone that dissolves into doves and says Democracy Now! We love these mugs here. They disappear all the time. Um, KPFK has a few of them. For a sixty-five dollar contribution, get this wonderful mug to drink in democracy now with. 818-985-KPFK is the number to call, or go to KPFK.org. Um, we ask you, please do it now. We're hopeless. We come in at the very end of the show instead of breaking in midway through because we want you to get everything. And if you want to encourage the depravity, then go to KPFK.org and make a contribution. It could be $5 or 5